God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the thoughtful Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm good. Ooh, I jumped to the T's. I am really excited. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I went hey, from A to T in like no time flat. I'm unpredictable. I'm just going to start bouncing around. <laughs> we'll see what words come up. I, I don't know how I, I, I just want to avoid things like Q and Z. I don't want to play with okay. the, or X. I don't know what I would do with an X. So see, I, you know what? I, but I would love to see you take that. Take my <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, it would be. But that's okay. You know, um, I'm. Yeah, how are you today? You doing all right? I am doing fine. You know, it's Friday, and it finally feels like fall here. You know, there we're you almost go. in November. Uh, yesterday, it was, we had another eighty degree, uh, <laughs> you know, temperature, and. Uh, you know, so today was like nice and crisp and, you know, kind of appropriate for the season. There you go. And, um, and I voted. I, oh. I did the last day of early voting. Right. Uh, that was really challenging because I really wrestled with whether I was going to vote or not. Mm. But, um, you know, I, 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 I came to a conclusion. And so I went to the. There you go. Went to the poll. Did what you so, did. And, uh, did what I did. And, and here's the thing. So people are listening to this. What is this? The word, the end of November now. So we are, it, this is funny. This is October. like, well, yeah, but they're listening at the end of November, right? So okay. we're, see, we're recording yes. this end of October. They're here in the end of November. And, and here's what's going to be funny about this. It's going to be like time traveling for people because yeah. we don't know what happened. You're listening. You know what happened, but we don't. And so you're listening to the past today. We don't know what happened. It is the day before Reformation Day, or as the rest of the world yes. calls it, Halloween. Um, we had snow in New York up here today. And, wow. Uh, thankfully, it did not stick. It melted real quick, and it's gone. But uh, that was a little bit like, I like fall weather, but I don't need winter to poke its nose where it doesn't belong. Like stay in winter. It is October. Uh, it's it's by the right. time folks are listening, it's still November, and it's still not time for the snow. So we just need to hold off on the snow. Well, but. it but then again, it's just fitting for everything <laughs> that twenty twenty is. I'm just going to leave it right. I there. tell you what, if we get like a blizzard on Christmas Eve, I'm just going to give up. I'm just done. <laughs> I'm just done. I'm going to sleep for the next week. Wake me up when it's twenty twenty one. That's what it's going to be. But. uh I'm excited for today's conversation yes. because we're going to start in exactly the same place. And that's very yeah. important. And we are talking today about the goals of justice and race conversations. Um, when we talk about these things, what is, what is our goal? And um, I'm excited that we start in the same place because it demonstrates, again, one of the, the, through, the threads that we've been shooting through this whole thing 
we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and because we are Christians, we have the same goals in mind. How we get to the achieving of those goals might differ, but the goals are the same, and we have to start there. Otherwise, we end up in some really bad situations pretending like we have different goals in mind or that the other person right. doesn't have truly Christian goals in mind. That could be really a problem. So I'm excited to talk about this. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, what is the end goal? And I think it's helpful to look at it from a, well, obviously we're going to look at it through the lens of being a Christian, being in union with Christ, but more importantly, being part of a body of Christ. And what that means for the church. What is what is the goal from the perspective of the church, mm -hmm. right? So it's as individuals, yes, but we also have to think about it. And more importantly, in terms of us being connected to others and the witness of the church. So I like I loved how you put it before we um, before we started recording. And so maybe you can so, tell our audience how you so how you put the goal. Here's my goals in these conversations. And for those who are super suspicious of me, you're probably just not going to believe me or you're thinking, oh, no, he's just saying the right thing. But seriously, here are my goals in this. When I talk about issues of social justice, racial justice, all of that, my goals are I want to see people being more faithful to Jesus. I want to see people being more faithful to the scriptures. And I want to see people develop more in their love for God and their love for neighbor. That's mm -hmm. it. That's the goals. Mm -hmm. And you might say to yourself, well, isn't that the goal of just Christianity in general? Yes. And when I approach these issues, I have the goals of Christianity in mind, not the goals of other social systems or other theories of, of living. I, I want to approach each and every conversation about race and justice with ultimately Christian goals in mind. Otherwise, I'm kind of chucking my Christianity to the side in favor right. of, uh, I don't know, some other kind of an agenda. Right. And I think that this is important because what I see a lot, especially in the social media streets, is that uh, particularly those that take more of an anti-social justice position, that the charge is toward those, towards those who are more social justice friendly and maybe even speaking the language of, you know, some of the secular ideologies, which, you know, I think there is some concern there. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, are they are they looking at it or trying to look at it with that Christian commitment in mind? Or is it just, well, I'm just going to imbibe the secular Kool-Aid mm -hmm. and not and neglect you know, my Christianity. And I think the lion's share of what I see is that people are, are doing just that. They're saying, okay, in order for me to be a faithful Christian, to be faithful to scriptures, this is what I see included in what it means to love God and love neighbor. Yeah. So what it, so there is in my mind, um, so, you know, with some of the, some of the charges that are made, it's, it's uncharitable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I think that there is a desire um, for, you know, to have that Christian commitment. Um, and so we need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about the way that we lazily and quickly 
throw out charges against people. Well, they're just not committed to scripture. You know, they're preaching a false gospel. They're, you know, you know, they don't love Jesus. Well, um, and, and, you know, and, 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 and sometimes I get the sense of saying like, well, you know, like I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is a lot and of that. We need to be careful. We need to be careful about how we judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can have disagreements. Mm-hmm. I know I do. Mm-hmm. And I know I have challenged some folks on, you know, uh, and, and people have challenged me on why I take a strong stand or it takes, you know, some of the stands that I do against us, you know, utilizing secular theories. Yeah, yeah. And that ha- and that does have everything to do with the Christian commitment. But at the end of the day, I can't just go straight to the axing of the Christian commitment of my brother and sister in Christ with whom I disagree. Well, and let's let's build on this for a second because I think there's also has been charges leveled against conservatives who do have questions about things like CRT and other tools that are out there, who don't like social justice type language, there is a charge that um, those conservatives don't love Jesus enough or don't love neighbor. And that's especially the thing. It's the neighbor love that that the charge is. You guys don't love neighbor effectively. And so I wonder if you could share, what are your goals when you enter into these conversations, because often you enter in with critique of a lot of the mm-hmm. way that social justice conversations come in. So mm-hmm. I think that what listeners might be surprised by is our goals might not be all that far off. So what are your goals when you no. enter into this? No, it's, you know, so my goal is to be to be faithful to the, you know, not just the language of scripture. Yeah, And, and here's the thing. Okay. <clears throat> I think you I think utilizing the language of scripture is important, right? Because then there's no ambiguity. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, what does this mean? We'd have you have to tr- you know go through this translation exercise, which I think is part of the problem yeah. with the, you know, some of the language that's being used out there in terms of things like you know, dismantling uh, whiteness and uh, systemic racism and all of that. And so once you start, you know, using the language of, um, you know, of, of what the broader culture is saying and what secular ideologies are saying, the danger is that you start to lose that meaning in scripture. And so yeah. I say, you know, let's let's stick as close as possible to the biblical language. Uh, but but the heart of it was like, well, what does it mean? Um, and we look at, you know, what does it mean to be a faithful witness of Jesus in this world and in, in what he has commanded us to be? Um, so I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I am glad that you brought up the the conservative critique, because I see I do see that on the other side that, you know, people are really not. Uh, and sometimes, the, the, you know, I get the uncharitable charge of, or I hear the uncharitable charge of, yeah, they would have been the ones who would have owned slaves and oh, promoted man. segregation. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you know that? Just because someone, and again, it goes back to, folks are wanting to be faithful to the Lord, yes. and they're having critique of what's going on not just in the broader culture, but how that's coming into the church and saying, hey, this is not being faithful to Jesus, right? How do you translate that into, oh, they they are the ones that would have promoted segregation? Right. No. There are, 
a handful of voices, but I'm talking a handful, a small group of voices who want to see Christianity effectively subsumed by a radical left social agenda. Very few amount of voices. There are a very few amount of voices. And I'm talking about voices with platforms. I know there's always people out there, but I'm talking a, a few platformed voices who mm. have argued for and copped for neo-Confederate um, yeah. slavery wasn't all that bad type of things, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. If you then lump the crazies on the left and the right in with everybody else who are just trying to figure out how to be faithful to Jesus and want to make sure we're being thoughtful about how we approach these issues, mm -hmm. if you lump them all in with the crazies on their side, you've just, you've completely obliterated the ability for helpful conversation and a constructive way forward. The, to critique social justice is not to be a pro-segregationist wacko and to to hold to some of the the language or utilize some language that comes from other positions is not to be a far left socialist who wants to see the end of the Christian church. I just wish right. we could have a, a middle ground conversation that was reasonable. Right, right, right exactly. And so, you know, so that kind of gets into, you know, some of the ways that we, you know, we may differ mm -hmm. on, you know, in terms when we look at the end goal and say, okay, so we put it under this broad umbrella, right? And said, well, our, you know, our goal is to be faithful witnesses, to love Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. first and foremost, love his church, mm -hmm. you know, because you can't love Jesus without loving his church. And that to me goes back to, you know, the heart of what we're trying to do here, because we want to strive for unity. Yes. Amen. As much as possible. You know, we are going to have disagreements, but we don't want to fan the flames unnecessarily right. of disagreement if we don't have to. So let's see where we can find common ground mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and particularly find common ground in Scripture. Yes. Yes. So. Um, so when it comes to, you know, the challenges of or, or what I see as the critiques of, you know, uh, you know, against so the social against social justice and social justice agenda, and how they, you know, how that might, um, when you look at the end goal, um, it, you know, and I look at it two ways: one, inside the church, and what that means for the church's witness in the broader culture. And so, one of my where I think I would have some concern is this idea about dismantling whiteness, right? Because now you're co-opting the language mm -hmm. of what the broader culture is saying that is being influenced by these ideologies that say, you know, the white supremacy is so embedded into the, you know, into the fabric of society and particularly the fabric of American society that we can't really have parity unless we dismantle whiteness. Now tell, talk yeah. because I know we've had this conversation before because we hear um at best of whiteness, I think what people hear is you're against white people. Right. And that's not what whiteness is. No. It, it's man, this is where language is so difficult because Whiteness is not about skin color necessarily. 
it the, it it does connect to skin color but only in a historic sense not in a not in an ontological or anthropological sense if, uh, so let me break that down um whiteness is the way it's used now i i'll let me first say this i don't use this language often i did more before um mm-hmm. but it is relatively unhelpful Because here's the thing, this is language that's used in particular conversations that if you don't know how those conversations are run and you're eavesdropping on that conversation or you're being told you're supposed to be a part of that conversation, you're just confused and offended. Um, Whiteness has a very specific definition and that is an idea that it's it's linked to white supremacy. It's this idea that um, there are benefits in society b- about being white. And it is a flattening out of ethnic distinctions within white presenting people. And here's what that means. If you have white skin, you are ordinarily not going to identify with your ethnic heritage. Uh, now, there's exceptions to that, right? Anybody who's Irish is going to tell you in a moment, I'm Irish. Anybody who's Italian is going to tell you in a moment, I'm Italian. But here's what's fascinating about that. The ownership of those ethnic labels ordinarily came from the oppression they faced when they came to the United States. Um, And so they are more willing to latch onto that because when they got here, they faced uh, really, frankly, the racism that came from white supremacy because they were deemed less than white. Um, So whiteness is this controlling idea of um, there are norms and there are privileges that come along with the white skin. And the closer you can approximate to that white skin, the more opportunities and privileges there are for you. Um, there are a lot of people who would say, we want to totally dismantle this idea of whiteness. And here's what that means. Rather than there being this monolithic group that we call white, and all the privileges that come with white. That the, the advocates of dismantling whiteness would say, we want people to rather re-embrace their ethnic heritage. You're not white. You're Dutch. You're Dutch American. You're German American. You're English American. Whatever the where, Wherever your heritage comes from, recapture that. Because the idea is everybody embraced this whiteness in order to differentiate themselves from black slaves and to create a hierarchy where whiteness was over any other kind of blackness or brownness or whatever. So all of this is at play. Here's what it never, ever means. It never means people should apologize or be ashamed of their white skin. That's that's not what's being said. The problem is that this this doesn't communicate well. And if language doesn't communicate well, I wonder how effective the language then is. Right, right. And so here is my, you know, here is my concern with that. I, I mean, that's one of, that's, I think that's one of the main ones is like, what are we talking about? Because how it translates is, oh, we're against white people. And particularly when you see the, um, a lot of the opposite, the criticism um, today about white evangelicalism yeah, and white evangelicalism being one, being harmful to people of color, 
um, and two, not really it being a politicized uh, Christianity, Amer an American politicized Christianity and not one that's true to scripture. So that's one concern that I have is that because things that are deemed uh, white evangelicalism and however you describe that sometimes, you know, yeah. often, uh, you know, politics gets um, gets thrown into that, um, particularly those who are uh, Republican or conservative um, are all, you know, kind of lumped in this uh, this this umbrella mm -hmm. of of white evangelicalism. And so when you talk about, you know, we have to dismantle whiteness and then point to white evangelicalism as the problem, it really isn't too far of a stretch. And I hear what you're saying, yeah, and I yeah. think you're right, but it really isn't too far of a stretch to we're now looking at our white brothers and sisters with suspicion. And, you know, unless they, you know, they kind of take these steps to show that they are not part of this larger problem. And then it becomes very performative, right? And, the, and what we're not yes. looking for is any kind of performative wokeism what we're looking for is uh, a true pursuit of revelation 7 9 vision where all mm -hmm. of the nations are before the lord worshiping him on the final day right that's where we're shooting for um mm -hmm. you know i think while i understand the has you know, like the the uncomfortability with the critique of white evangelicalism i do think we also need to put out there that there has been a very broad an unfounded critique of the black church. There has been a broad and unfounded critique of ethnic churches. Um, and so this is definitely not being pointed in one direction. And I think, to be honest, it is only recently that I have heard critiques of white evangelicalism. Um, I've been hearing critiques about the black church my whole life. And then I started meeting people who went to the black church. And I went, hold on, these folks are full-blown Orthodox, and I was told they were all liberation theologians, or they were all... So, you know, I think we want to be careful. The suspicion has certainly been created. The segregation between white churches and black churches was created. And why I think some people point the finger at white evangelicalism is because that is a voting block the politics do come in. Where did the term white evangelical come from? It came from pollsters. And um, one of the things that can happen is we take that political category, we place it then back on the church. Suspicion is bred. And I think what we have to do is you have to say, okay, why are people now suspicious of the white evangelical church? What is the white evangelical church? How do we define it? Um, mm -hmm. And I think you have to do so by history more than by theology. And uh, that becomes part of the... Because theologically, we're having to deal with categories of orthodoxy. But one of the things that I believe, and this, you know, definitely people are going to disagree with me here. I think evangelicalism is much more a historical movement than it is a theological conviction. And the reason I believe that is that... Um, you know, brothers like Joel Osteen and John Piper are both considered evangelicals. Well, mm -hmm. uh, then yeah. we're definitely not dealing with a theological convi um, conviction. What right. makes them both evangelicals is the historical movement that got them there. And that historical movement has not been pretty on issues of race. And I think that's right. that's where a lot of the critique comes from. It's a historical critique. Right. 
And that's where, and, and so that's another one of my concerns as well, because, you know, how it, it leads me to ask, how much history are we imposing on situations? So let's say, you know, in a congregation, you know, we talk about the end goal. What, you know, what's our goal? You know, let's make it simple per first John, you know, to love each other. Yeah. You know, and gee, that's what Jesus said. They will know you are my disciples, right? In John 14. Yep. I think it's 14, 7. They will know you are my disciples by the love that you have one towards another. I can look at a passage like, you know, um, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, about doing nothing out of selfish ambition, but consider the other's interest mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. more important than your own, right? And then say, let this mind be in you that it was in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can look at James and saying, you know, brother, show no partiality. So the goal here is to operate, you know, per uh, uh, Ephesians 2, right? That we are members of God's own household. We are members of God's own household who love each other, who value one another, who don't show partiality. Um, and do what we can to model to the world the love of Jesus. So if that is being done, and so my concern is that let that be the starting point. However, if we start with the premise, and particularly when you have a, you know, a congregate, when you're in a congregation that's mainly white, we start with the premise um, one of history, the, you know, history of, of white evangelicalism. And then we have your present day concerns that we might be imposing that upon the congregation, upon our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and having that being the starting point. And I think that's where we start to get into trouble. And that's where, you know, the goals kind of, it start, we may have the same goal, but in practice, things start, kind of fall, you know, falling apart. Whereas if we start with the premise that you're my brother and sister in Christ first, we are, we have a shared union in Christ first. Then as issues come up in terms of, you know, things that will lead to partiality, mm -hmm. things that will lead to a lack of love for brothers and sisters, a lack of concern for the other, then let's tackle that. I, I, I agree with that to a point. I, I agree that we have to treat our brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters first. I think there is a place of, um, you know, we want to start with love, but love also has an element of truth to it, right? And and truth is part of what sanctifies us. We're sanctified in truth. Um, and and we love one another with truth telling as a part of that love, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's not loving to lie to your brother and sister. It is loving to tell the truth and to ask them to tell the truth. And part of what has to be done in, in thinking through these issues is it is loving for me to ask my quote-unquote white brother and sister to think through how God really made them. God made you a particular way. And yes, mm -hmm. you have white skin, but what is your ethnic makeup? Because it is the ethnos, it is the nations, it is the ethnicities that are in that Revelation 7, mm -hmm. 9 day, right? And so part of that is, is those of us who've had to grow up with our ethnicity on our sleeve, if you will, who are always aware of our ethnicity, 
have something to offer to our white brothers and sisters who might have discounted their ethnicity in favor of this mm -hmm. white paradigm that perhaps they didn't just... They, I don't think that there are a lot of folks today, there are some, but I don't think there's a lot of folks today who are latching onto the white label because they say, oh, this gives me more power in the United States. I think they're being taught from birth, this is just what you are, you're, you're white. This is just what you mm -hmm. are. And it's like, well, no, but that's not how God created you with white skin, but there is an ethnicity at play here. Know what that is. Think of who God, of who God made you to be. Re-embrace that and don't then leverage that against others, but rather embrace mm -hmm. it and celebrate it. Allow me to celebrate that in you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of truth telling that has to be in play there. And I think that there's also the loving call to repentance. And if there are churches and denominations that were com not just complicit, but actively involved in setting up the racist structures in the United States, mm -hmm. that has to be brought to account. And I think what we've seen over the last 10 years, 20 years, is churches and denominations doing just that. Um, so I, I do think there's been progress. I think we're moving forward. I think there's, I, I, I don't think we're in the same place where we've been, but I do think there are aspects of these false constructs that are out there that still have to be dismantled. The question is, is whiteness one of those false constructs? And if you don't define that really, really well, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Okay. And, you know, yeah, I do agree with you just, again, from a historical aspect. I mean, I'm in the PCA, mm -hmm. yeah. and we had Overture 43 in uh, 2016, mm -hmm. you know, which basically repent, repented of, and when we say repented, because there's some, you know, contention around that. What we're doing, it's a corporate confession. We're confessing um the sins of our fathers right we mm -hmm. can't repent you can't repent for somebody else but if we look at it and the fact that we are connected towards one another and union in christ we are we are confessing that where these people have failed you know in turn and especially in terms of our denomination and um you know and i think that that's good i think it's healthy uh, when i was a dts every uh mlk chapel which actually had been newly, I started in 2008, it had been newly instituted. Um, the president of the seminary would get up and he would confess. Mm. Like we, there was for, um, for a few, the first few decades, they, there was a policy in place where only white males were, mm -hmm. um, you know, were, um, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Admitted. 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 Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. I just lost my that's language right. for a minute. Um, you know, and I think that that's good and healthy because, of, you know, for, for the church, for the Christian institution, because it's acknowledging that this wasn't right. And we are not going to do things the way that our predecessors did. But I still, you know, and I still have to ask, so how much of that are we presuming on the present, right? So, we, you know, when we come into a congregation, is the goal like, oh, brother, you know, I need to make sure that you know you're not really white, but you have this ethnicity. No, where our focus is on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Our mm -hmm. focus is what does it mean to be, you know, what, what has God done through his son and what does that mean for us? Well, that is our focus. Absolutely. And then when we have, and then when we, you know, when we have this, then we deal 
with the things that can disrupt that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a, to me, there's a concern when we start off with this idea, well, we have to tell the truth about you and your ethnicity Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. false construct. Well, yeah, but, you know, there's, there's, you know, perhaps there's a place for that, but let's make sure that we're starting with Jesus. Let's make sure that we're, let's make sure that we're focused on it. And I say that because I just, you know, I just think a lot when I see a lot of what's being said about white evangelicalism, it's not, it's not a stretch to see why, you know, there's this automatic suspicion of those who are considered white evangelicals. Um, and particularly if they vote a certain way, listen, and we talked about this in season two, I know we're the first part of season two, just because somebody votes a certain way, you don't know, what are they doing in their private life? You know, um, don't be so quick to discount people because they vote a certain way. Um, but so, you know, so that's my concern. So when we talk about our witness to the world, you know, if we're starting out in a place of suspicion, mm-hmm. that's not a very good witness. And then we're taking that to the outside world and saying, you know, the problem with all of these white evangelicals, you know, and I have to leave these spaces. I'm like, what? What kind? What kind of? What kind of witness is that? Yeah, I and I hear that. You're absolutely right. We have to begin. You know, start, middle, and end is always Jesus mm-hmm. at every mm-hmm. point. Um, one of the things that it, again, it, it's it is a matter of perspective, right? It's um, because if you come at this for, with a historical perspective, you are going to see things a little, a little different. I'm not saying that that you're ignoring history by any stretch, but it's mm-hmm. what you're putting the emphasis on, right? And and so listen, in in any church, my prayer would be that the the constant drumbeat is the exaltation of Christ and mm-hmm. the 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 displaying of God's glory. In all things, that's that's what I pray is the regular. That's what you hear every week. Mm-hmm. I think an aspect of this is to say, you know, let's take this term white evangelicalism and white evangelical churches, which is, um, you know, a political and a historical and a sociological term. It's definitely not a theological term. You won't find that in the Bible. Um, but if white evangelicalism took a right turn or a left turn. Just pick a turn. You pick the turn, because they're going to read politics into that. That's not what I mean. Um, but say they took a turn. They were on the path towards Christ, right? That kind of straight, narrow road to Jesus. And they and, and that the racism within white evangelicalism decades, generations ago set them on a trajectory that was slanted away from the things of Christ. And I think historically we can say that's just true. Um, that's why there have been these confessions that have had to come out. The question is, if they, if you go so far down a road, once confession happens, is there any walking back that needs to happen? Um, you know, so let's let's take, for example, so obviously confession leads to immediate forgiveness. You're brought right back to where you were. No need to do any works, right? Um that's in a salvific you and the Lord sense. But in the social construct, so say I um, say I hit my brother in the arm really hard. I ask forgiveness for the Lord. I'm forgiven. Boom, it's done. But the bruise is still there. And the effects then of what I did are still there. This is basic 
sin theology. Mm-hmm. What do I then need to do to care for my brother's arm? What do I then need to do to, you know, so let's use DTS as the example there. They put this chapel there, they confess their sin, but then I wonder what is the next step? For decades, they were not admitting African-Americans into the seminary. Is it then important to begin purposefully creating scholarships for black students to be able to enter, to create the space, to provide the the financial help to be able to get to seminary, but walking it back, actually doing what you can to put yourself back in a position where you would have been had racism not gotten into into the equation. And here's my question. Why is not the admitting enough? You know, we weren't admitting and now we do. And we're going to equally value these, you know, black students. Um, And it's the same with the church, right? There wasn't, there was a racial hierarchy. And in some cases, unfortunately, in some congregations, there there still are. So, but like, for instance, in the case of the case of the PCA and a lot of uh, PCA congregations, um, and particularly in the South, because that's really where it started. Um, you know, there there was partiality. You know, there was not an equal love, uh, or you know, uh, the way that it should have been for our our black brothers and sisters. But now it is. But now we're going to show them that we love them. Why is that not enough? Well, I don't think that is what the PCA has done. To be honest. I think they have gone much farther than that. I think mm-hmm. they didn't just confess, but they have a bunch now of scholarships for RTS, um, which is kind yes. of one of the flagship reformed PCA-driven seminary. I know it's not technically a PCA seminary, but no. you look at the leaders and they're a bunch of PCA guys. Um, yeah. It was definitely a feeder school it is. For, for PCA And so they've yes. created these initiatives to mm-hmm. um to bring in black students to RTS. You mm-hmm. have an entire initiative in the PCA to develop and disciple and raise up black leaders. And sure. so they didn't just do a confession and then say, "All right, we did that and then move on and not actively proactively pay restitution mm-hmm. if you will by making sure that they are now lifting up black leaders. I think the PCA has done a wonderful job and it's why the PCA is more diverse than um, any other Presbyterian denomination in the country, including the main line always talking about race PCUSA. Oh God, don't, and so please don't. I'm just uh, saying, let's not, here's what the PCA has done. The PCA <laughs> didn't just say we're sorry. They said, we're sorry, and now we're actively going to do something to change who we are. That's what we're looking for within church systems as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Repent, apologize. There's a beautiful story of this that we heard from Sean Michael Lucas a couple seasons ago um, about the church in Memphis that actively repented of what they had done and then instituted things, changed policies, raised up leaders, hired folks. They did what they had to do to get themselves back to where they should mm-hmm. have been. And I think that's what a lot of the, a lot of people who have a goal of racial reconciliation and ra- racial diversity is, all right, we all lived in this kind of quote unquote white evangelical soup. How mm-hmm. do we write the ship? It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you kick out white folks. 
It doesn't mean you attack right. people for being white or having white skin. It is saying, all right, one of the things we want to do to better um, approximate the vision of Revelation 7-9, which is an eschatological vision that we will never reach this side of glory, but it is still a target to shoot at, right? I'm never going to not sin, but it's still a target to shoot at. Um, I, I think what people are saying is let's now proactively do some of the things that need to be done. I don't think confession, mere confession is enough. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, and I think from a, especially from a denominational, um, you know, administrative perspective, I can see that. But then when you get down to the nuts and bolts of the congregation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I say this is one who's currently, you know, co-teaching a yep, <laughs> class yep. on racial healing. I mean, I think these discussions are, um, in, are important. But at the same time, I think there's also a concern for so much focus on these issues that unless they are put in place, now we have, you know, we're, we're back to where we were before. And of course, we know yeah. that that's primarily not the case. I mean, I think, again, unfortunately, because of just the, because of the fall, because of the way that sin works in the human heart, we know and I know from concrete experience mm. that there, you know, there's still unfortunately some pockets yeah. out there um, that hold to some form of, of a racial hierarchy. But for the lion's share, I can tell you, I mean, especially in talking to my white brothers and sisters, like they like they want to get it. They're like, no, man, we don't we don't want to be racist. Whatever that was in the past, we don't we don't want to do that. But why is it that? it's not enough just to love my black brother and sister in Christ. And again, I'm not talking, you know, you're talking yeah, at, the, yeah, at yeah. the church administration level, but I'm just talking about at the lay, at the lay level. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, so that's my concern is that now we're imposing upon our brothers and sisters, a performative action yeah. to show that they're not racist when they're like, Hey, I value you. You're my, you know, you're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. I'll, I'll do what I can for you. Um, and so that's, that's where I get concerned in terms of the goal. You know, we all have the same goal, but then it can go sideways when we start, you know, one operating in this, in this mode of, well, it was wrong. And here's what we need to do to make it right. And that means you, Joe parishioner must now, you know, show that you're not yeah. like that, like, you know, like folks were in the past. That That's where I get concerned. And I, and I, I totally hear that. And I think that's a, a completely valid and fair concern. Um, you know, I, I, part of this, when it gets down to the laity level, a mm -hmm. lot of it is, I do still encourage people have the conversations, talk mm -hmm. this through, ask questions, don't assume things about one another. Um, right. And and here's what I would say, you know, hesitatingly, because I, I, listen, I just think, well, not hesitatingly. I just know that people aren't going to like that I'm going to say this. That's why I'm hesitating. But I think it's true because it's true. Your white brothers and sisters aren't all racist. Don't assume that they are. They're just, that, that's just a total false construct. They're not all prejudiced. Um, are there racist structures? Yes. Is racism a thing that we have to go to war against? Yes. Is there prejudice in the hearts of some people? Yes. 
but not all white persons prejudice. So don't assume it walking into the conversation and don't require a checklist of for them to perform to prove to you that they're not prejudiced. Just love them. If prejudice rears its head, then in love, check it. But don't go Mm -hmm. searching for it thinking that there's prejudice under every rock. Um, Exactly. And so I I hear you. I agree with you. I think that's why the definitions of racism that we talked about last time are so important. When I'm Mm -hmm. talking about racism, I am always talking with structures and systems in view. Prejudice is something that is, it can be rooted in the human heart, needs to be uprooted, can only be uprooted by the spirit through the power of the, of the gospel in sanctification. That's how prejudice has gotten rid of. Um, and I think, yeah, to assume that your brother and sister is prejudiced is just, it, it is in and of itself could be sinful because you're slandering them in your heart before you even had a conversation with them. I don't know what else to say about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> and I think on that we can agree. I think on that we can agree. Listen, this is hard stuff. I think that um, there will be, you know, as you're in your local church talking with your church leaders, you know, ask the questions, have the conversations, love each other really well. Don't assume. When you see prejudice, be willing to speak and, and call it out, uh, but do it in love. Truth is always spoken in love. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that there is, um, have the conversation with your leaders. To what extent will we talk about this? How are you making that calculus and how much you're gonna, time you're going to spend with it? What are your priorities in this? Have the conversation with your leaders, but don't assume that your leaders have some nefarious agenda in one way or another. Just love people, right. man. It, it frankly, in the end, doesn't get that hard. We just right. are very sinful and bad. Right? At this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Uh, put put aside the the, the lens of suspicion. Mm. Mm. You know, until someone shows you that you you know that you should be suspicious of them. All right, there it is. Put away the lens of suspicion. That's it. That's the tweet. That's the podcast. That's the tweet. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see y'all again next week. <laughs> Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.